on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the start of yet another week in the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, the home of common sense and the headquarters, of course, uh, of the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's going to be a yet another rocky day for the Prime Minister as the sharks are circling around him and around Downing Street, hoping to take a bite out of Boris Johnson. Sir Keir Starmer is calling for an apology to the nation over the Owen Paterson lobbying saga, although I'm not sure what good that would actually do. And there's talk of a ban being introduced on consultancy roles for outside business from MPs. Meanwhile, the sleaze word is being banned about as though everyone is somehow surprised that the business of politics is actually treated like a business by some politicians. Starmer Chameleon is also suggesting that he wants an assurance that Patterson, who has already resigned, doesn't end up in the House of Lords. There's no doubt that the Lords is too big, it's got too many peers in it and it is badly in need of reform. The question is, what are you going to do with it? We should be seeking the very sound counsel of Anne Whittacombe, who was a minister in John Major's government. I mean, even he was having a go at Boris over the weekend. It's pretty rich coming from him, uh, considering what went on under his leadership. 0344 is the number. Sunday Times columnist Rod Little is here as well. He wrote this weekend that the Tories will keep getting away with it as there's no one else to vote for. Labour, of course, being the party that Claudia Webb was elected to represent before she was kicked out for being found guilty of threatening to throw acid over someone. Finally, Sir Keir Starmer's calling for her uh, to give up her job as an MP, uh, but he also runs the same party that might make it possible for Keith Vaz to come back into Parliament, despite his criminal conviction. It's quite unbelievable that anyone trusts any politician these days, isn't it? 0344 499 1000 is the number. Um, Peter Hitchens joins us as well. He's dismayed that the royal family seems to have got now involved in the climate change madness and he's urging everyone to join in the green campaign to save the planet. That's the royal family, by the way, not Peter Hitchens. Meanwhile, COP26 continues pacing Glasgow. I've got no idea why. We'll be hearing from Lois Perry, who's up there canvassing support for a referendum on net zero. We'll also bring you the latest travel news from uh, America because you can now fly into America today for the first time uh, since the pandemic began and we'll be asking whether it's a good idea to make doctors work in poorer areas rather than wealthier ones. I'm not quite sure why they would do that uh, but we'll be asking them. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me Mike Graham on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is of course Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, the papers, as you can imagine, are absolutely chock full of stories uh, about sleaze rows, uh, Johnson's Downing Street redecoration problem uh, in The Times, watchdog hits out of ministers over top jobs, new rules could bar MPs from consultancy roles. You know, the issue of sleaze is always one that's never far from the surface, but the whole Owen Paterson saga seems to be pretty badly handled by the Tories. And although uh, I'm certainly no uh, cheerleader for Sir Keir Starmer, um, he must be loving it, even though he can't quite bring himself uh, to say, exactly what he thinks should happen uh, because he doesn't want to go too far. But he has been calling for Boris to resign. He's also been calling for Boris to apologise. Boris Johnson's approval ratings have never been lower. There are people in the Conservative Party who think enough is enough. But is this really just revenge of the Ramonas? Because an awful lot of the constituencies that the Tories run in the southeast of England, where people, generally speaking, uh, wanted to remain in the European Union, those seemingly are the constituency MPs who are most unhappy with the Prime Minister. Let's talk to Anne Whittacombe former Conservative MP, former Minister, of course, in John Major's government and former Brexit Party MEP as well. Anna, very good morning to you. 
Morning to you. I mean, it's never very far from the surface, the sleaze in the political business, is it? I mean, everybody kind of pretends it doesn't go on. Everybody kind of turns a blind eye. And every now and again, every now and again you get something like this, where it all rises to the surface and everybody goes, I'm shocked to see that this is going on. Yes, well, it's a bit rich for Labour to sort of try and portray this as something that is unique to the Conservative Party. If you think back to the expensive scandal, the people who actually had abused the alliances to such an extent and so dishonestly that they actually ended up in prison yeah. uh, were Labour MPs and, and, and that they need to be reminded of that. But yes. I think we need to get away from this sort of trivial bickering and look at the situation. I mean, I am one of those who thinks... Uh, that the uh, procedures in the House of Commons are very badly flawed. Refusal to examine witnesses uh, is not justice. The absence of any right of appeal is not justice. Um, In this case, it is said that uh, the commissioner had actually made her mind up, uh, or almost made it up even before she started on the case. That's not justice. So I think there was a case, logically, and if you believe in impartial justice, as I do, and believe it's essential for democracy, then there was a case to be made to say this needs to be looked at. Now, anybody, anybody with an iota of common sense could have worked out that you don't do that with a Tory-dominated committee of MPs. You do that by inviting an outsider with solid legal experience, obviously a retired uh, High Court judge, somebody of that standing, you invite that person to look at the procedures. The review is not commissioned by the government, but by the Speaker. And at the end, what you accept and don't accept must be decided on the basis of a free vote. And if he had done all of that, then it would have been a very different outcome. And it didn't help that Owen Patterson, who I think didn't necessarily have fair procedures, whether he was innocent or guilty. Either way, uh, I think Owen Patterson, to boast that he would do exactly the same thing again, instead of taking a rather different line and saying, yes, there were very serious health issues. I'm not sorry I brought those to the attention of the ministers, but maybe I didn't do it in the best way. Maybe I should be more transparent. Maybe I should have uh, consulted the Commissioner for Standards beforehand rather than... (coughs) Uh, had a fight with her afterwards. Yeah. Um, I, I think that w- would have made a huge difference. In other words, what I think is the issue really here is the bungled, bungled handling of it all. Well, yes, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, most of the people that I've spoken to in Parliament would suggest that, uh, you know, I don't, there's not much doubt that Owen Patterson did breach the rules, right? Um, but as you say, that's not really the main point at issue here. The main point at issue is that the government, and Boris Johnson in particular, really mangled the whole thing and, and, and should have either stuck with one side or the other instead of flip-flopping about and suddenly realising, oh, my God, we better reverse ourselves because it's now being said by many people in the Conservative Party that Boris is no longer kind of in charge and that he can't seem to make a decision and stick to it. Well, I mean, I think they're entitled to ask if kids took this series of decisions because you know it was all so unnecessary. It could have been handled with great act and and with impartiality, uh, instead of which it was handled in a way that could be presented as standing up for one's own. Uh, And that is never a good look when you're looking at justice, you're looking at alleged corruption, uh, you're looking at the standards that we all want Parliament to uphold. It's never a good look 
to be seen as protecting one's own. You need to stand aside and you can say the procedures are fraud. Uh, but as I say, what you then get is a totally independent examination. Yes. But I think the other problem is if, if, say, for example, Boris had done what you suggested, which was to set up an independent inquiry, uh, have a proper series of, of hearings so that you could work out whether or not he'd done the right thing. I think people in general would look at that situation and say, why the hell are these MPs such hypocrites? Why are they wasting so much public money doing yet another inquiry into something which they could have decided literally in one second and said, you breach the conditions. This is the suspension. This is the penalty take your medicine, we'll see you in a, in a couple of months. I mean, that would be the way I think the public would like it to be done. Yes, I think the issue was not so much just what Owen Patterson had done and whether he had uh, breached uh, the rules uh, or whether the exception that is built into the rules was applicable in his case. That really wasn't the issue that should have been concerning MPs. The big issue is the whole procedure uh, of MPs sitting in judgment on themselves and the procedures which they use. The absence of an appellate function is unique. It yes. doesn't happen anywhere else. No, exactly right. So, I mean, as far as today's um, proceedings are concerned, there's meant to be some kind of special session of Parliament, which we were told wasn't going to happen, now is happening at 2.30. Um, some people are suggesting Boris Johnson might not turn up. I'm assuming that's not going to be the case and that he will turn up because it would be a massive error again if he didn't, wouldn't it? Well, it'd be a huge error of judgment if he doesn't turn up. It will look scornful. It will look dismissive. Uh, it will look as if he doesn't care about uh, the public concern. Uh, so, yes, I really do hope he turns up. But I think all this needs calming down. And the way this is calmed down is the Speaker is the one who commissions the review. Uh, the Speaker is the one who appoints the High Court judge not the government. And that is the way to start getting out of this now, is to take things out of the hands uh, of any one party, uh, regardless of whether that party is in government or not, and just have it administered completely externally. And then, of course, MPs have got to take the decision on whether or not the recommendation should be implemented. But they must do that on the basis of a free vote, not a whipped one. Yeah, absolutely right. So you think that the, 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 the situation, the standard situation at the moment is, is sort of hold below the waterline and can't continue as it is? I, I, I do. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, I think the procedure's been forward for a very, very long time. Uh, and now we're having, well, MPs are now having to confront that. Should have been confronted a long time ago in less emotional and fraught situations mm. and less controversial situations. That's when it should have been confronted. Yes. I mean, I myself sat on the Standards Committee and I resigned from it uh, because so farcical were the procedures that when Neil Hamilton was accused, he addressed us for over two hours. I do mean over two hours. And we weren't allowed to ask a single question. <laughs> Not a single question. Now, <laughs> what sort of justice is that? Whole thing balmy. It's needed revision for a very long time. Yes, I think so. What did you make of John Major's uh, intervention over the weekend? Because, of course, um, a lot of people were saying he's not exactly the right guy to be talking about sleaze in the Tory party, given what happened under his Back to Basics campaign. But you were a minister uh, under John Major's government. Um, what do you think he's up to? Well, first of all, the Back to Basics campaign was never, ever about sleaze. That, that was the way the, the press and the media... And if I may be so bold, your no, but it became about sleaze, though, Anne, because yeah, a lot of the a lot of the min government ministers got themselves embroiled in in some rather yeah, um, let me, let, unusual let situations. Yeah, okay, but let me finish what I was saying because that's only fair and just, so I can finish what I'm saying. Of course, you can. When Back to Basics was introduced by John Major, it was not about sleaze. 
it was back to basics in education with PRs, it was back to basics in health, nurses actually nursing instead of doing degrees, et cetera, et cetera. That's how it was conceived. It very quickly, I mean very, very quickly, uh, was made synonymous with a moral campaign, mm. uh, which then justified going back donkey years into, you know, what obscure backbenchers might have done donkey years ago. Uh, and the, that was a dying government at the end of four consecutive terms in office. This is not. Um, you know, we have, we, Conservatives have a huge majority. Um, they've got a very, very popular up till now prime minister. Um, this is a different situation. And and it, it, John Major is still entitled to comment. Oh, he is. But does he speak for the Tory party as a whole is what I suppose my question is. I because... don't think anybody speaks for the Tory party as a whole on this one. I think what you've got to simply say on this one is get it out of the hands of the Tory party and into the hands of the speaker and a high court judge and let them do the deciding. And then for heaven's sake, let the Commons decide on the free vote. Get it out of party politics. Yes, but the bigger question, Anne, is not simply about Owen Paterson or about the Standards <laughs> Committee. The bigger question is now a question of judgment. And I know that this, the fans of this particular fire are being flamed by Sir Keir Starmer, first of all calling for Boris Johnson to resign, talking about him uh, running, um, you know, a sort of uh, a terribly dirty stable, in his own words. And in the end, the questions that are being asked within the Tory party are about Boris Johnson. They're not really about Sleaze. They're not really about Owen Paterson. They're about Boris and whether or not he is any longer the man to run the party and the government. Well, that's what it's coming down to. Uh, Prime ministers have ridden out much bigger storms than this one. Uh, and I think he will be able to ride it out, but only, only if he takes the right attitude towards it. This is not one where you can afford to be dismissive. And I just hope that he is consulting at the moment. Well, I think older, the... wiser heads. I really hope so. Yes, but I'm not sure where those older, wiser heads are because it seems to me that Downing Street has, has apparently become a bit of a cult of personality. The people who work there appear to be kind of nominated and, and almost knighted and tapped on the shoulder by Mrs Johnson, uh, who seems to have surrounded herself with a lot of her former uh, friends and colleagues from Conservative Central Office. You know, you don't get a sense that there's a sort of what you might call a um, even a star chamber of, of, of wise old heads in there. No, there isn't. I mean, there's no grey eminence. No. So just them. Uh, and yet there are such people around, you know. I mean, there are former prime ministers like William Hague. There are some still a few, a few very serious people in the Lords with long, long experience of the political situation, long experience of it. Um, you know, they are the ones now that Boris should be talking to, not the kids in Downing Street. Mm. Yeah, but unfortunately, Boris is quite pig-headed about these matters, it seems to me, um, and he doesn't like to ask for, um, for, for for whatever advice he might not like to hear, if you like. You know, he wants to, He seems to be surrounded by people whose advice he likes to hear because it's always about him and it's always about what a great job he's doing and how far on, and, and away ahead he is from Labour. But in the, in the most recent polls, he's not anymore. No. I mean, the fact is one of the most common failings of a politician is that you appoint people... Uh, because you like what they say and you want to hear what they say. Yeah. And that is why I always made a habit when I was a minister uh, of trying to have on my team somebody who was from uh, the other wing of the party, yeah. a left wing, in other words, so that we had a dissident voice, so that we had a voice which would <coughs> encourage us to consider what we might not have otherwise considered. Yes. Boris should now do that. He needs somebody who is not a great Boris fan 
to help him. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Stay with us, Anne, if you would. I've got to ask you some questions about the House of Lords because that's a big issue today uh, as well. 0344 499 is the number. It's all to Anne Whittacombe, former Cabinet Minister under John Major. Uh, he is, of course, entitled to say what he said, but when he calls uh, Boris Johnson politically corrupt approach to government uh, and says that basically he's not even Conservative anymore, that, I would have thought, if you're a Conservative, should worry you. 0344 499 Back with more from Anne Whittacombe uh, next on Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is, of course, the home of common sense. Of course it is. What's going on with Boris Johnson, right? That's the question for today. Why uh, is, he sake, is he taking such a ridiculous route to get himself more unpopular than he's ever been, uh, to make himself uh, somehow uh, a sort of a, a, a green campaigner, a green climate change maniac? You know, that thing is still going on. COP26, we're going to go up there later on. It's still going on up in Scotland. I don't know why. Does anybody now care what they're talking about? And what are they talking about? What could they possibly be doing for another five days up in Glasgow? Absolute madness. Meanwhile, of course, the Conservative Party uh, is in all sorts of trouble. Of course, they're going to not lose the election anytime soon because they don't need to have one. But they are losing the support of their own supporters. And that is a big problem. Don't forget, you can watch us, of course, as you do uh, on your, your television set. You can watch us on Apple TV, Rakuten, Samsung, TV Plus, Roku, YouTube. Now, of course, you can watch us on Amazon Fire as well. Uh, just go to the Talk Radio Ox TV page or download the app from the App Store. It's called Talk Radio TV. Now, one of the stories on the front pages of the papers this morning, which isn't about Boris Johnson specifically, uh, is about the NHS. GPs will be barred from taking new jobs in affluent areas to force them to work in deprived towns under plans being considered by the government. Now, it may well be that you live in an area where you can't even see a doctor very often because they don't see you face-to-face. There's still an issue going on there. Uh, let's talk to Dr Wakar Rashid, consultant neurologist, MS specialist as well. Wakar, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Now, I know that that, that there's a big disparity, isn't there, in certain um, areas. I'm not sure whether it has to do with whether the areas are poor or or, or well off, but some doctors um, in GP surgeries are are there representing something like 3,000 patients, as many as that. Others have a slightly smaller number, maybe down to 1,000. Why why is it so different, depending on where you are? There there is a huge disparity, um, and there's no doubt it, it... access to healthcare affects health outcomes, so it's extremely important. Um, this has actually been the case for a long time. It wouldn't surprise you to know this, and it's never been properly addressed. Right. Um, so hopefully it is being addressed. Um, it, there used to be better, tighter control about uh, um, where, where vacancies were created in general practice up until I think um, the new Labour years when Tony Blair became prime minister and then there was a deregulation within primary care and general practice and general practitioners became much more self-employed businesses that contracted out services the nhs and had greater freedom to expand their practices and so the ones that uh, did well from the point of view of financially uh, were able to expand better and um, money goes follows where money is and uh, so some of the incentives in terms of how general practitioners and their surgeries and contractually can uh, make money in terms of as successful businesses seems to be in, in areas that are more affluent, um, have greater engagement people around them and 
people wanting more services, et cetera, et cetera, and money tends to follow money. And so you've, you've seen this uh, widening disparity over time. Um, and there's not been any power within primary care to actually say until obviously, uh, you know, what we're talking about now, to say, no, we need to now level this out. This this was uh, this has been a thing for a long time. This was raised pre-COVID in 2019, 2000, and 2020, yeah. and it's just not being addressed. Well, yeah, I mean, I've been hearing stories for years uh, from various different parts of the country where you can't actually get a GP if you move into an area that's got an awful lot of people in it. Quite often you can't find one or the GP's lists are closed, certainly the case with dentists. But, I mean, looking at some of the figures here, the average apparently is 2,289 patients, but in Oxfordshire it's down to 1,688, uh, whereas in other places like uh, uh, Fylde and Wire in Lancashire, 2,833 patients. So, I mean, obviously for those GPs, they're working a lot harder, I presume, than the ones who have got fewer actual uh, patients. Well, you've got two options, haven't you? If you've got uh, almost twice the number of patients under your care, you either work twice the hours or mm. the service you're giving isn't going to be quite as good as if you had less right. patients under your care. And as I say, access to healthcare dictates health outcomes. So if your access to healthcare isn't as good, your health outcomes are poorer. And this is very, very clear to see. If you look at any demographic data about health across the country, there's massive discrepancy across the country with poorer areas suffering more. This is true with COVID. Again, outcomes and mortality and morbidity with COVID much higher in poorer social demographic areas. And you only make it worse when you take away healthcare, which is what we've done during yes. COVID. And the problem for, for, for this particular plan, right, uh, is that one, you have to convince people to do it and to take part in it. I mean, how readily uh, do you think doctors will be happy to go and work in poorer areas? Well, yeah, I, I, that's always been a problem as well. Um, essentially, and you know, I include myself in this, doctors come from middle class backgrounds and, you know, they uh, like to uh, end up, particularly when you're making uh, choices about long term with your family and so forth, um, often uh, the... Uh, uh, choices go to areas where they want to live and ring up the families and so on and so on yeah. and they need to be incentivization here um, so obviously uh, firstly is a um, I think a, a better way of uh, trying to get some more parity in terms of uh, encouraging appointments in areas where there is less uh, general practitioners and so you can do that by the, well, it's, a bit, it's carrot and stick, isn't it? You could say, well, you know, you have to go work there. There's going to be no appointments there. Or you can also incentivize, which the obvious thing to do would be financially. Mm. Uh, mm. And, you know, we've operated on an, an archaic system in terms of financially in medicine in general, in terms of uh, what you're paid uh, in one area of the country is identical to what you're paid in the other area of the country, regardless of need. The only difference to that is in London, where, where there's recognition of just how much more expensive it is to live in London, something called London waiting, which yeah. is nowhere near yeah. the disparity, but it, that's the only difference. Otherwise, uh, certainly in specialist practice, you're paid the same. Now, the difference with general practitioners, and this is more of a problem financially, is that there is variation because they're run partly as businesses. And so, again, if you uh, are going to uh, or looking to appoint someone to an area where there is less uh, coverage already with general practice, with perhaps a less successful GP practice in existence, then 
uh, you would, there's, it's more complex to financially invest, um, incentivize somebody compared to, you know, pay, place in leafy Buckinghamshire, yes. which is a lovely practice, which has got, uh, you know, huge amount of engagement and, and, and a successful business offshoot. So it's, it's a tough challenge, but it has to be done because otherwise primary care and health outcomes are just falling and it's in a terrible state, really. Well, that's the, the thing. I mean, like everything else in the NHS, it's in massive need of reform. I mean, there's yeah. talk of offering £20,000 at the moment to people as a bonus if they'll move to a poorer area. But I was talking to a doctor at the weekend and she was telling me that an awful lot of doctors are now actually working part-time because they can and because it's less stressful for them because to work full-time is too difficult. Uh, it's not worth it. Um, and it means that they have no life outside of working. So an awful lot of them, and I have some sympathy with that point of view, but I just don't think that's very helpful. If you don't want to work full-time as a doctor, surely you shouldn't be one, or you could do something else. So I, I don't think £20,000 is going to cut it, um, and certainly it's a one-off payment. And as you say, it becomes a case of lifestyle and, and burnout and and so on. Um, I mean, you know, as long as you're training enough doctors so that you can accommodate people going part time, then that's okay. But we're not training enough mm. anyway, and so we're, you know, we're even even less in terms of where we're at. And it all feeds into specialist care as well. So there's disparities in specialist care. We're talking about general practitioners, but it, there is huge disparities in specialist care and access as well. Yeah, massive disparities. Yeah. So access to specialist care is 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 not even and again uh, it, that influences uh, your health outcomes and the real worry i have with this and this was mooted even before covid but now it's been dressed up as good for patients good for convenience and good for recovery of the health services are actually what people will be offered in areas where there is low gp coverage is virtual appointments yeah. so not face to face and uh, that's a, a, a really slippery road to big decline across the whole of the health service because we as specialists are hugely reliant on general practitioners for their diagnostic skills for their ability to manage patients and what's going to happen if you have a virtual triage service in areas it is just going to be a conveyor belt a specialist referral to not enough specialists to already full hospitals uh, and this is a, a slippery road and it, we really have to take yeah. um, this under some kind of control, really. Yes, it really does need fixing. Just one final question, my car, on the COVID business. Um, what are you making of all of these kind of veiled threats that, you know, we must all get the booster in order to avoid having any more lockdowns coming up for Christmas? I mean, I don't see any evidence that we're getting into a place which should worry anyone. Are you? I think um, the messaging, I think that whoever's doing the messaging are just addicted to threats, really. Mm. Um, yeah, I think they've, Seems that you know, they've, used, they've used threats for 18 months, so we'll keep going. Um, you know, I think boosters are a good thing because uh, they, um, in the vulnerable, um, uh, have uh, improved outcomes. And so that's why, one of the reasons why, amongst other reasons, uh, we're in a better place in terms of COVID um, in, in, in hospitals than we were last winter. We shouldn't be even contemplating, the, for the 10 minutes we've just had now, we shouldn't be even remotely contemplating restrictions on society because uh, there's huge, there's already continued increase in deaths at home, mm. uh, non-COVID deaths at home. That A lot of that, I think, is due to uh, poor access to primary care and specialist care. And if you're contemplating locking down or reducing access to healthcare service further, then what's that going to do? It's not going to help. Mm. Um, so 
I would much rather there's a positive case made for vaccination. I would much rather they concentrate on making a positive case for vaccinating the vulnerable. I don't think they need to vaccinate children unless they're vulnerable and why they're putting effort into this staggers me. They should be concentrating on making a positive case for vaccinating vulnerable adults yeah. and, yeah. Um, uh, and those above the age of 50. And it's, I think it's, it's usually better when you incentivize rather than try and scare the life out of people. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Dr. Wakar Rashid, consultant neurologist, thank you very much indeed uh, for that. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the start of another week in the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, the home of common sense, the headquarters, of course, of the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It's going to be another rocky day for the Prime Minister as the sharks are circling around Downing Street, hoping to take a bite out of him. Now, it's not very clear yet whether or not he's going to turn up uh, for this hearing at 2.30. It's supposed to be an emergency debate in Parliament around the issue of sleaze, around the issue of Owen Paterson, about whether he should be going to the House of Lords, whether we should be uh, getting some kind of absolute promise from the Prime Minister that he will not not be elevated to the House of Lords. So Keir Starmer is also calling for an apology uh, to the nation. I'm not sure what good that would do, but he seemingly wants the Prime Minister to say sorry for having a sleazy government. Except, is it? I mean, there's a lot of sleaze being bandied around all the time, but, you know, the Labour Party uh, has got plenty of problems of their own. Uh, not least, it took them until yesterday for Sir Keir Starmer to demand that Claudia Webb uh, was kicked out uh, and was actually forced to leave her job as an MP, even though she's been kicked out of the Labour Party. She's still picking up the old taxpayers' dollars. We also want to talk a bit about the House of Lords because it's too big, uh, it's got too many people in it, and it needs to be pared down, it seems to me, in any event. But what do you do? How do you do that? We'll take your calls on that, 03444. 991000. Coming up in this hour, Peter Hitchens is going to be with us as well. Uh, he was writing about how dismayed he was at the weekend. The royal family appears to have got themselves all worked up about the green agenda and they've suddenly become a little bit political by backing the government and by telling everybody to save the planet when before they never used to do such a thing. We'll also get his view uh, on what's going on in Parliament, the sleaze that uh, John Major uh, lauded it over because he was very critical of Boris Johnson over the course of the weekend. Rod Liddell's coming on a bit later on as well. We'll talk to him. Uh, We're also going to be talking some more uh, about the doctors issue because apparently there's not enough doctors and there's not enough doctors working in poorer areas of the country. So the NHS is going to offer a £20,000 bonus for moving. Really? This doesn't sound like a very good idea to me. 0344 499 1000. We'll also check in with Paul Charles and find out how easy it has become now to get to America. Uh, that particular uh, border opened up to the UK today. Uh, we'll be finding out how easy it is to get in. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest great radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Let us say a very good morning to Mr. Peter Hitchens. Peter, how are you doing? 
Morning. Nice to talk to you. Uh, before we get to the royal family, let's talk a little bit about uh, the current state of the nation, Sleazegate, as some people are calling it. I mean, you've seen your fair share of sleazy politicians over your illustrious career. Um, what did you make of John Major's assertions at the weekend? Well, it's it's rather odd for him to be getting involved, but <laughs> it, it, it is a feature of almost any government of, of any party that obviously these things will happen. Mm. And it, 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 for any political party to maintain that it will come into office and will be totally clean is absurd. Uh, power, uh, particularly uncontrolled and concentrated power and power unregulated by a very vigilant uh, is always going to result in, in in forms of what can most easily be called sleaze. And people will do things for money when they have the power and when they don't think anybody is looking. Also, what's, uh, what Michael Kinsley, the great American journalist, always used to point out, the astonishing thing was not what was illegal, but what was legal. <laughs> and, this, and it is amazing what you can do. Uh, the uh, the composition of the House of Lords is a, is a constant source of amusement to everybody, I think. Uh, but nothing illegal has happened, and uh, and there it is. Mm. Well, that seems to be the problem, doesn't it? Because it was just pointed out to, to me by a tweet from Guido Fawkes that uh, Sir Keir Starmer, while bleating on about how corrupt he thinks Boris Johnson's government is, um, has also been in receipt of quite a lot of money, about 26,000 quid, uh, for some legal work that he's been doing over the course of the last few months and uh, charging £250 an hour, as he's entitled to do as a lawyer. I mean, it's almost impossible to have a system that doesn't involve people making money in addition to the money they get as an MP, isn't it? Well, it's true. There also used to be an argument saying that MPs should not really be salaried employees of, of the of the government or anybody else, and that it was no bad thing that they maintained uh, professions and skills outside Parliament. I certainly, we certainly accept this in the case, case of doctors. I think you have to carry on practising to maintain their qualifications. So there can't be an iron-hard rule. But then again, it's fairly obvious when someone is, is selling their position as an MP... Uh, in return for gain, and that's that's always wrong. But the idea, as I say, that, that this is a, a party political issue, it, it fills you with despair. Frankly, whenever anybody raises the issue of sleaze or corruption in politics, you know they have nothing fundamental to say about the issue. Right. Uh, there, there is there is no political party which is clean, no government which is clean. If you want clean government, uh, what you must find, fundamentally have is the maximum amount of scrutiny and the proper rule of law. And that's what Victorians realised when they, they created uh, actually very enviable non-political civil service. And also during that era, they, they, they strove to create a judiciary which was genuinely, uh, genuinely law-governed and tried to enforce the law over and above power. And these things, have, especially again since the Blair Revolution, these things seem to me to weaken the civil service has been heavily politicised. It was politicised a bit by Thatcher, but much more by Blair and mm. Campbell. And the judiciary uh, also seems to me to have been heavily politicised following the introduction of the Judicial Appointments Commission, which has completely changed the nature of our courts. So these things are, are not, uh, this is, th th these, are, these are very important developments and they take us away from the attempt to build uh, an impartial state or an impartial judiciary of the 19th century. Uh, they're not the same thing as sleaze or corruption, but they are, in my view, menaces to, to, to freedom. But if you want to, if you want to make politics about sleaze, then beware, because whichever party you lead, sooner or later, sooner or later some senior mm. member of your own party will seriously let you down, because that's human nature. Yes. It, it, it's, it's dead for me politically. It has no. It has no resonance because it never actually means anything profound or fundamental. No. There's no doubt, though, is there, that we've gone sort of slightly down the American route where politicians who get into politics and get quite high up inside the political sphere seem to become quite wealthy 
which is exactly I'm what afraid we have in America. A lot, of that, a lot of that wealth in Britain tends to come after they've left uh, frontline politics. Yeah. So it always irritates me when people say such and such a person is paid more than the prime minister. I say, well, so what? <laughs> By the standards of chief executives, prime ministers are paid very badly. The, the financial rewards for prime ministers come after they leave the office when yeah. they're, they're showered with money uh, and uh, under virtually no supervision at all. And, and, and that's where the money comes from. It's, and they accept the, the, the low salary and the pokey flat at the, in, in Downing Street in return for the knowledge that when it's all over, they can become millionaires. Yeah. So well, it's not, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it, but in our politics, it tends to be that you get rich after you, after you leave rather than while you're actually in, in, in harness. Unless you're Peter Mandelson, of course, who seem to manage both. But um, apparently, though, um, it would appear that if you were, Boris Johnson, if Boris Johnson was leading a company, if he was a CEO, um, I'm not sure uh, he would be able to do what he's doing currently, which seemingly is to surround himself with people that, he, that all agree with him, tell him how great he is, and, and advise him to do things which have now made him as unpopular as he has ever been. Well, I don't know about that. I think some companies are worse than others, don't you? <laughs> well, some that's true too, yeah. But, but inevitably, the shareholders will make a decision based upon the performance of the chief exec. And if the chief exec keeps doing the kinds of things that Boris is doing, surely he wouldn't last long. Well, I don't know. I think that the extraordinary story of, of, of modern British politics is the success of, of, of Mr. Johnson, uh, that he, he has actually become something quite unique. And, I, and the, the reason for this seems to be very simple. Uh, we owe this prime minister to Ian Hislop and all the other people involved in Have I Got News For You, who created him. Uh, as a public figure who is who has a direct relation through television with large parts of the British public who don't care about any other of the the, uh, the, the projections of him in biographies or by political writers. They think they know him, and in very large numbers they like him. This mm. may indeed be a grave mistake, but it's the fact. And this is that we have a, a, a prime minister who's been wholly created by television fame. And by and also by having a an engaging personality and a strong sense of humour, which appeals to people above and beyond politics. I think it's it's, uh, it's very very hard for anyone to attack. And the other thing, of course, which is uh, Harriet Harman made this very clever point. I thought on the the, the World This Weekend yesterday on Radio Four uh, that he acts increasingly as a presidential politician, uh, as, as if he was actually head of state as yeah. well as head of government. But that's something he got from the from his time as mayor of London, which is uh, London. I regard as being one of the one of the countries in the United Kingdom now, and it's a republic. Yeah, it has a, an elected head of state, and he was it, and he learned to, to act like that there, and it gave him uh, certain attitudes towards politics, which he's carried into Downing Street and gets away yeah. with. So, I, if, if people mess around with the constitution, as New Labour so very much did in the late nineteen nineties. Uh, and people say, oh, well, that's just boring old constitutional stuff. It isn't boring old constitutional stuff. It's a deep change in the rules about how we're going, and we're, we're reaping the rewards yeah. or rather non-rewards of it now. But, but this most recent U-turn on the whole business of the standards uh, body and whether or not it should be disbanded, whether or not um, Owen Paterson should have had an opportunity to, to appeal, it seems to me just to be the latest kind of uh, effort by Boris Johnson to do anything that he wants to do. Uh, well, maybe... The other explanation of it is if you if you've read nothing but the Daily Telegraph for the whole of the uh, ten days or so before the Owen Paterson vote, you'd have a completely different view from the rest of the country. Yeah. And one does sometimes get the impression that the the, the, the cabinet and particularly the prime minister uh, do read the Daily Telegraph and not much else. And, and and there you are. That's that's how they got themselves into that particular corner. But that was just a mistake. Yeah. And what happens in 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 politics is you live in this tiny little world. 
uh, where everybody you meet believes the same thing and agrees with you and, mm. and likes you or pretends to do so. And so nobody says, uh, actually, no, Prime Minister, this is a daft thing to do. Yeah. But fortunately, I, I mean, I don't know how long this is going to last or how big it's going to be. I wouldn't like to predict. But fortunately, they did at least realize immediately after that they, that they had made a, a terrible mistake. And I so say fortunately for them, I'm still not my concern, uh, they, 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 they then reversed as they absolutely should have done because they'd done something stupid. I, I have to say, when, when I was talking to people about this last week, and they said how terrible it was. That's just probably if John Major had been involved, he would have carried on. Mm. Uh, and of course, then up pops John Major saying he would have been better. So I, I don't know. I, I <laughs> but the, tr the trouble is, though, I think... figures in British politics. So yeah. I, 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 I didn't enjoy his government from any aspect at all. Uh, and I always remember him saying that when you're, you're when when your back was to the wall, you should turn around and fight. And mm. it, it sticks in my mind as an image of John Major as a politician battering his fists against the wall. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of unfortunate use of the words there. It, it would just, it, I mean, we, we've all done it, but it just it, it, it just seemed so John Major. -ish. Yeah, it very much did. And and also he's kind of reinvented himself as some kind of elder statesman, forgetting that oh, when yes. he was prime minister. He wasn't exactly, you know, one of the greatest leaders the world had ever seen. And, and, and nobody can forget the whole back to basics fiasco where it sort of it seemed like every five minutes yet another cabinet minister was falling down due to some uh, moral outrage or other yeah I, I think i think he would say in his defense with some with with some reason that I, back to basics wasn't supposed to be about sex no no uh, but there it was that's what it's uh, so many things aren't supposed to be about sex but turn out to be and he was caught <laughs> on that one but it wasn't by any means the worst i mean the, the wild pursuits of the exchange rate mechanism was yes. the thing which really did for him mm. And there were, there were lots of people saying, oh, please don't do this. Mm. But no, 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 he would have it. And and, and there we are. And he in, 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 impaled himself upon it. Yes. But you're right to say that the problem now in politics, as in much of our kind of society, is that people only surround themselves with, with fellow travellers, that they only ever hear uh, the same story every single time. I mean, I was saying earlier today, I don't think there's anyone... Um, inside government right now who knows what life is like in the rest of Britain outside of London. I and mean, you say London is, is like its own country. It kind of is because it's very much now uh, a law unto itself. It's full of people who probably voted um, more for the Labour Party than for the Tory Party. It's full of people who want climate change to be very, very high on the agenda. The rest of the country, I'm not so sure. And it takes us on to what you said about the royal family. Well, yes, it does. But I, just a small point about London. I think that what a lot of the a lot of the explanation of what the Johnson government is like goes back to his time when he, to become mayor of London, he more or less had to adopt the politics, though not the personality of Ken Livingstone. Yeah, because that was the that was the voter base he had to appeal to, and he became a, a very a very left wing person and, and hired as an advisor Munira Mirza, who's still very close to him, who's uh, very much mixed up with the spiked online lot mm. and he and it, it's it, it, this extraordinary belief among the british left-wing intelligence intelligence sorry unintelligentsia uh, that johnson is some kind of, 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 of rabid tory who wants to grind the faces of the poor could not be further from the truth he is he is blair uh, but blair with an etonian gloss on yeah and that really they should be they as with blair they should be more pleased about what they've got. He certainly isn't what I want. Right. Well, if Blair had not been involved in Iraq, and I know it's a big if, because that obviously made, made everything incredibly different. I mean, yeah. Blair, Cameron and Johnson, therefore, three very similar 
characters in terms of the way that they approached the business of politics. Yeah. Three very centrist kind of types with a bit of a left-wing bent, although yeah. you may argue with that. Maybe that's what the country wants if they keep getting in, these people. Well, they think they want it because they don't understand what's going on. The interesting thing is you left, the, the person you left out there, of course, was the, 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 the man in the middle who, who didn't fit with that, who was Gordon Brown. Gordon Brown, yeah, who actually who had some one, conviction. Who, who, well, yeah, and also actually was in many ways far more conservative, certainly than David Cameron. Right. Uh, not difficult as a, as a task, but he was. Uh, so, yes, it is, it, it is fascinating. No, the country think they want it because what, what, one of the things that Blairism does is it sets out a, uh, what's called manipulative populism. It sets out a number of things which it claims it's going to do. Blair was going to sort out the schools. He didn't. Uh, Blair was going to sort out crime. He didn't. Uh, Blair was going to sort out everything and didn't. Right. What he was really doing was engaging, or rather his government was engaging, in a gigantic a social, moral, economic revolution while nobody was looking. And people thought they liked it, uh, but they didn't like the consequences, but they continued to think that the people at the head of it were engaging and appealing, up until, as you say, uh, the Iraq disaster, and they had, to get a, they had to get a new Blair because he was too disparaged by that. And they found one now. David Cameron wasn't really up to much as the heir to Blair, but, but uh, Johnson is much... A much better heir to Blair if that's what you want. Of course, I don't want it, so it's not. It's not, great <laughs> it's not really for you. No, no. I mean, I actually said that uh, uh, that Boris Johnson makes David Cameron look a bit like an ideologue, though, because um, <laughs> you know <laughs> Boris literally doesn't believe in anything. It seems to be. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe he does, but what what it is, we've yet to find out. Um, but let, let, please let's not go on about David Cameron. No, let's you. not. Yeah, let's move on to your piece True. about the right. royal family because I, like you, was rather disturbed to see everyone. By the way, we've just been up to COP26. One of our correspondents has been chased into a disabled toilet on the grounds that she's been asking whether there should be a referendum on net zero and they don't want her to be able to speak to anybody in the press area. So, um, okay, will she get out? Well, she thinks they're knocking... The last, last we heard, they were sort of knocking on the door trying to extricate her. I think they're trying to kick her out of the whole event because now you're, there is no room for debate, as they quite openly say. You know, everybody... It's over. It's all over. There's nothing left to say. And if you, if you raise any doubts, then, then, then you are more or less a thought criminal who, who should be uh, ejected from... Burned at the state. Told to shut up. Yeah. And, and there it is. It, uh, whether this, whether they're as right as they think they are seems to me still to be open to question. Uh, just simply to say, hang on a minute, we got this right. I, I, not, I get called a climate change denier. I don't <laughs> deny climate. It's evident to me. I've lived long enough to see that the, the climate in this country has grown significantly warmer in my time. The winters are nothing like as cold as they used to be. It's obvious something's going on. But then you then move on to much more profound questions. First of all, uh, what is the cause of this? Uh, how long will it last? How intense will it be? Can we actually do anything about it? And that's a much mistier area of inquiry in which it's entitled to ask uh, at the very least questions. The other thing, as, as, uh, as Lord Lawson, Nigel Lawson has often said, is uh, is the response that we're that we're following or pretending to follow uh, go, the the wisest one? Wouldn't wouldn't there be as much sense in waiting to see what actually was happening? Say, for instance, the sea levels did begin to rise, mm. and take precautions against that as it happened, uh, rather than spending so much money on crippling yes. our economy now. And the other question, of course, is is what we're doing actually in any case happening? Mm. Uh, is our supposed uh, it, self denial on coal? Uh, even real. I, the fact is that so much of the stuff which we import into this country, which we because we no longer have any industry that makes things, is manufactured in China by by factories powered by coal. 
including, and this is the, 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 the supreme paradox, uh, the windmills which we import from China to, to make intermittent power with them. These are made in Chinese factories powered by coal-fired power stations. So the whole thing is a bit of a pretense from that. And even if we shut down every single carbon-producing item in our, uh, in our generating catalogue, so all our, all our power was produced by, by, by wind and sunshine uh, and, uh, and somehow stored in batteries in between, even if we did that, uh, it, it would be of nothing compared to the gigantic expansion of coal burning currently going on in China. So it doesn't even have any practical effect. But to question any of this is to be treated like a, a medieval heretic, mm. except that they can't actually yet burn me at the stake. No, oh, that would be, be I think, I think they, their lips are the prospect of doing so. Oh, I think so. They absolutely love that because, you know, as you say, they now talk about how it's a climate emergency and you can't wait until something happens because by then it will be too late. And then in the same breath, they say it's never too late. And you go, well, it can't be both. It's either too well, yeah, late again, or it's I, not. I, talk, I, I won't name the guy. He's an old colleague of mine from Provincial Journalism Day. So one of the, 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 the big climate media people who, who talks a lot. And he says uh, that it's all too late anyway, that mm. we've missed our chance, that, that if we were going to stop it, 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 it there's been far too little done. And I, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a respectable point of view if you, if you take his position. And he's very serious about it. Now, you don't actually hear them say that very much in public, because if they said it in public, that the, all these efforts have actually failed on their mm. own terms, then the public will say, well, in that case, why do we continue to do these things? Yes. Why are we making ourselves suffer? Now, the thing is, has so many doubts about it. And that's, I think, why they're so afraid of doubt. You know, as well as I do, you disagree with somebody. I disagree with you. Uh, when that happens, the thing to do is to go to the facts and the logic and see which of us turns out right. But you never get that with the climate change no. people in public. Always you get the finger pointed at you as if you're in a, a, a remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers and a sort of scream emerging, a denier, 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 no, and fury. Mm. The absolute fury which always comes from people who are deeply unsure of their own position. I, 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 I'm not, I don't even want to take part in this debate. It's never been one which particularly attracts me, but I am annoyed by the way in which the, the it, it's become an orthodoxy. Yeah. This is why I got so cross about the, the recruitment of the royal family. And look, when this country is at war uh, with a dangerous enemy, then obviously we all have to pull together and there has to be national unity and the royal family stands for that. And I suppose that maybe one or two points at which you would say that the unity has to be so total that the, the royal family can openly espouse support for it. And there wasn't any question during World War II that the, that the, the king and queen were very much behind the war effort. But Outside that, when you're not in a national emergency, I always thought that the view was that the royal family should 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 retain political impartiality, and that was part of its mm. job and one of the reasons why we could respect it. And it, this just seems to have gone right out of the window. The little signs of it again early in the new Labour era, but they, it's become so intense. And in the past few days, just before, during COP26. All three generations of the royal family have plunged in, taking one side on mm. this, and I just think. For me, that's it. I can't really support the House of Windsor anymore. I, I'm not a Republican and will, will not ever be one. I believe in constitutional monarchy, but we need uh, a different monarchy from this one if, they, if they've so far forgotten themselves as to, as to become, yes. in my view, partisan. I think that's right. And also, you know, you're right to say you don't necessarily want to take part in the ins and outs of the, of the debate as such, but it's beginning to cost us money and they're starting to, to, to use it as an excuse to tax us more. And therefore, we must kind of talk up against it, surely. Well, I think we do. And it's it, uh, the other, not just tax us more, but the, we, as I said in my Sunday column, 
Uh, this is very like the one-sided disarmament that I used to be against during the Cold War. Mm. What we do is we we we, uh, we actually strip away our, our strength. We close down our major industries, our ability to to, to produce our own power. Uh, we cripple our own economy, uh, while our principal rival and the country which is likely to be the supreme power in the, in, on the planet within a hundred years uh, carries on uh, burning coal and uh, and uh, and expanding its industries while we go under what is the point of that mm. uh, how can we possibly justify it as a, 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 a the, the the lowering of our standards of living which is going to follow will be very unpopular but whether people will associate it with, what, with what's going on now i don't know because there's so often the problem is that uh, that people don't connect the things which happen to them to the decisions which brought them about mm. But I, I, this my favourite example of that, of course, is the, the the belief that all this health and safety stuff comes from human rights, and it doesn't. It comes from a Thatcher major legislation introducing ambulance chasing lawyers into this country, which is one of the major political disasters of modern times that nobody knows about, so they don't put two and two together. No, absolutely. Fascinating as ever, Peter. Great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Peter Hitchens, Men on Sunday, columnist there with the whole row round of all sorts of issues, all sorts of ideas and all sorts of uh, brilliant pieces of philosophy, which is why uh, we like to have Peter on, of course. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome back to the start of another week here at the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, the home of common sense and, of course, the only place to hear the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We're currently trying to discover uh, whether or not Boris Johnson plans to turn up uh, at this emergency debate going on this afternoon in the House of Commons at which Sir Keir Starmer would like him to apologise. We're not quite sure whether an apology is really going to cut it. Why would you want somebody to apologise for something uh, when it won't make any difference? I mean, we seem to have this society now in which if you say sorry, that's okay then. Well, not really. I mean, the whole point of the Owen Patterson debacle was that it was a complete and utter bungle. Nobody really got anything right. Uh, it now would appear that uh, there's all sorts of warnings being issued, dire warnings about how they're going to have to change the way the Standards Committee works. They're going to have to change the way the House of Lords is put together. Uh, it may well be that MPs are now banned from doing anything apart from just working as MPs. Meanwhile, uh, Sir Keir Starmer took until yesterday to call uh, for Claudia Webb to go. Uh, she, of course, was elected as a Labour MP. Uh, she's now been convicted of attempting to, uh, or threatening to throw acid into somebody's face and send a nasty, horrible, blackmail type pictures to someone. Um, but she's still sitting there taking the Queen's shilling or taking the taxpayer dollar, if you like, for want of a better word, um, and she hasn't gone anywhere. So sleaze is one thing, uh, but apparently criminality is something completely different. We're going to talk to Rod Little. Uh, he wrote in his Sunday Times column that basically the Tory sleaze will continue because, quite frankly, there's nobody else to put in charge. And I guess the system itself may well be the thing that encourages corruption. 03444991000 is the number. We'll keep taking your calls as well. We'll also bring you shortage of the day in this hour because once again we're being told that all manner of things are going to run out uh, before Christmas, probably including Christmas, if you believe anything Sajid Javid has to say. Uh, 03444991000, we'll keep taking your calls. We've got loads of time in this hour to take them. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course... Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I'm delighted to say uh, we don't always get him on uh, whenever we want, but Rod Little is here, journalist, associate editor at The Spectator, of course, columnist in The Sun and The Sunday Times. Rod, a very good afternoon to you. 
Good afternoon, mate. How are you doing? Very well indeed. Very nice to see you and very nice to talk to you. There's a certain inevitability about this story, really, isn't there? I mean, it's only a matter of time before somebody does something they shouldn't really have done and then somebody else tries to pretend there was nothing wrong with what they did. No, exactly. But it's, I think, what happened in the Conservative Party. I mean, an epic misjudgment. Yes. Uh, absolutely epic misjudgment. Uh, and they will pay for it. Uh, but it's, it's born of complacency. And, and the, the complacency and arrogance, of course. And the complacency and arrogance is a function of the fact that we have two parties who don't really give a monkeys about their electorate. No. Uh, so the Labour Party, for a very, very long time, uh, has lost touch with the people who it was set up to, uh, to support, uh, which was working class people, and has now <clears throat> somehow morphed into a party of the metropolitan liberal elite. Um, and really doesn't care about those areas which still votes Labour uh, and are working class, such as Lester East, where they imposed upon Lester East an imbecile. Um, you know, they previously had Keith Vaz, so they probably weren't <laughs> feeling very good about life anyway. No. But as soon as Keith had gone, they got Claudia Webb. She wasn't local. She was imposed upon the area, probably by momentum and against the wishes of the branch secretary who later resigned. Mm. <laughs> you know, it, an absolute disdain and and lack of respect for the people who they're meant to represent and we saw what happened with claudia webb i mean god help us I you mean, know, uh, yeah i mean i was having a conversation about all this with john rental on friday and he inadvertently made one of the great sort of um uh, misstatements and non sequiturs in which he said basically that the thing about the difference between claudia webb and owen patterson is that claudia webb didn't breach parliamentary standards <laughs> right so you don't. You're all right if you've committed a criminal act and you've thrown or attempted to uh, to threaten to throw acid in somebody's face because that's not against the rules uh, of getting kicked out of parliament. Yeah, no, it's it's utterly bizarre. Though, of course, he's right that in 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 terms of the House of Commons, uh, what Owen Paterson did uh, was was probably uh, worse. Yes, but uh, of course, I mean, one shouldn't exculpate Owen Paterson either. I mean. He was absolutely bang to rights. Yes. Uh, and, and, and it couldn't have happened to a nicer bloke. Shall I tell you, Mike? Up and down this country, badgers are leaping out of their sets and cheering like this. Because Patterson was a bloke who introduced, against all the advice from the proper bodies, who, had, who introduced the badger cull. So the badgers are wandering around today saying, you got it, mate. You've yes. got what was coming to you. You're gassed now, mate. Mm. So hop it. And you're right. Um, and he sort of does represent that sort of formerly Tory from the Shires, doesn't he? The guy who just is very entitled, thinks that he's always right. Yeah. Doesn't take any interesting um, criticism on board whatsoever. And all the people that were kind of defending him and saying he's had no justice were all part of the same cabal. All part of the same cabal. And they think... I mean, it's been pointed out a number of times, but it's true of both parties. They think that the rules don't apply to them. So Boris consistently does as he tells people not to do. And so do his ministers and the backhanded contracts and the deals done under the table and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But the Labour Party, similarly, you know, we are enjoined. We were enjoined under Jeremy Corbyn that we shouldn't send our children to private schools and we shouldn't send our children to selective schools. Diane Abbott, um, Chakrabarti, Shami Chakrabarti, um, Emily Thornbury, 
all send their kids, all argue against private schools and selective schools while sending their own children to one of the two. And it, you know, it, it's not just hypocrisy. It's sheer arrogance. Mm. It really is, because they are sort of thumbing their nose at the electorate. And as you say, um, they neither now represent either of their own supporters, because I was in Putney no, Strange. Right. I found myself in Putney Strange enough on Saturday um, with Kevin O'Sullivan doing a show at the Half Moon. And I mean, we walked around in Putney. My background would not suggest to me that that is a Labour stronghold. And yet it is. It doesn't look like of one. Of course it is. Well, never mind that, mate. Go for a walk in the Cotswolds. You'll find an even stronger <laughs> Labour stronghold. Well, it's like, how, I mean, do you tell, how do you tell it's a Labour stronghold? There's lots of Range Rovers driving in the streets, quite a few cyclists and a couple of Waitroses. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Indeed, Waitrose is probably a good indication of uh, Labour voting. Yes. Um, uh, I, I, I might I might do some work on that. That's quite that's quite good. Well, that's I'm glad I'm glad good. I've given you the idea. What about yeah, the... that's that's a, a really good idea. But you know, I was talking about this, and so was Claire Fox at the Social Democratic Party conference on yes. Saturday, uh, and Lionel Shriver, because it, Lionel's American, and she was speaking at the SDP conference, mm. and it's exactly the same in America, um, in, in that um, the the Democrats who used to be, of course, a party of, of uh, the poor, the working class, or what they call in America the middle class, has become the party of the very affluent liberal elite yeah. uh, and is getting more and more left-wing. And the Republicans, meanwhile, uh, go too far in the other direction. And yet you saw in Virginia this astonishing result mm. where uh, the Democrats were ousted from one of the most democratically Democrat-safe seats in the country. Yeah. Um, Which they'd won because... by 10 points, I think, with Biden, didn't they? That's right. That's right. That's right. And, um, and all because of their appalling policies of allowing uh, critical race theory into schools. So to all those lefty commentators who say that the culture wars don't matter, they don't matter to the man in the street, have a look at Virginia. But it's the problem of a two party system which has become corrupt and complacent. Mm. And which that's is why, the... obviously, obviously, my, I'm we in the SDP are going to have to return to our homes and prepare for government because I don't see an alternative, mate, at the moment. Well, a bit like the Lib Dems are always doing. But that's the thing, isn't yeah. it? You have this ridiculous situation now where um, there's an 80-seat majority for Boris Johnson. There's a few by-elections coming up in which there might be one or two shocks, I suppose, because it's a by-election. But it's going to be very hard to see how some party like the SDP or Reform UK can cut any sort of um, real difference and make any real difference at any election. It's it's all it's it's close to being impossible. I mean, what we've got to do is build up from the grassroots mm. and make sure that we've got lots of workers in every area. There's no real other way to do it. You can't attract defecting politicians until you can be certain of winning seats yes. because they won't go to you right. because they're not that principled. Uh, a few famous people wouldn't come amiss, you know. Uh, if you ever were to sort of come out on air and say, "I am with." The SDP, you know, <laughs> we'd, we'd all that would that would give us a few more thousand members. Well, it's, it might make you one of the hate uh, hated parties as well, because I mean, people well, hate, that would be great. People hated me this weekend just for having breakfast, which apparently uh, I wrongly termed a full English breakfast because it wasn't a full English breakfast because it one had hash browns on it, and two, uh, I was informed by some of my more lefty followers that nothing in English breakfast is actually English. What a stupid point of view! I know, isn't it? It's just known as a full English breakfast. Yes, but this is what yeah. we're up. This is what we're up against, Rod. Rod you know, we try and, and and commit to common sense. We try to tell people that this is how you should be going. But Boris Johnson now, and you're saying this in your piece in the Sunday Times, 
is, is so kind of contemptuous of the of the British public that there's talk he might not even show up this afternoon for this debate. Yeah, he's not going to show up. No, I was told that he was uh, uh, off to the far north of, of the country on some long-standing appointment. Right. Uh, no, he has no intention of showing up because this is the one occasion where, you know, Angela Rayner and uh, Keir Starmer are absolutely right. You know, it's impossible to argue yes. with. They are absolutely right. And Rayner put it very well. And, you know, if Boris wants to... Boris wonders why the Conservative Party is the party of sleaze. It's because it is the party of sleaze. <laughs> there is no question about it. You know, it just is. <laughs> yes. And I presume it's not going to change. And equally... But we're also now having this uh, sort of almost annual conversation about the House of Lords and what you do about that. Uh, and I know your um, illustrious leader, William Clouston, has often said that he would like to see quite a lot of reform. But nobody seems to know what to do with it, really. No, well, uh, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I suppose uh, I'd be in favour of reform of the House of Lords and, uh, and a certain portion of those elected representatives. I'm also quite in favour of a kind of great and good idea. But the trouble is the people who get into the House of Lords are no longer the great and good. They're people who bung Boris a vast wedge of money. Mm. You know, that, that's that's the real problem. <clears throat> and of course, it's the problem with the honour system, which is another great pit of corruption. You know, it's it's... It's well, not, I mean, all these people, is, I mean, even Sir Keir Starmer, I'm told that he got his knighthood because he was the DPP, Director of Public Prosecutions. Yeah. Well, why should you get knighted just because you do that job? I don't know. I, you do, I, I mean, in fairness to Starmer, he didn't do it badly, which is, uh, you know, makes a change, doesn't it? Well, it's, uh, well uh, I mean, but, it's good to know that he, he could do something well, um, although there are those yeah, that would yeah, argue yeah. he didn't. He, he could have done it better as well. You yes, know? yes, he could, have, he could have done it better indeed. Uh, but but no, it, I mean these baubles which are handed out, and we focus maybe on a on a comedian. Uh, I'd give one to Roy Chubby Brown. That would really annoy <laughs> the, the leftists. Um, uh, uh, but you know, and Mrs. Tiggywinkle, who's manned a school crossing for the last seventy-two years yeah. from from uh, Batley. Uh, but actually, the real headline figure should be you know uh, Bob Sleaze, who's bunged the Tories a million quid. Right. Uh, and people like that, you know, or indeed, uh, and this happens as well, the the people who get who get ennobled because of the colour of their skin. Yeah. I don't find that much more attractive. No, either. no. I mean, I'm I'm pretty much against all no uh, sort of ennobling of of anyone really. I mean, I just don't think there's any point to it because it. Uh, well, apart it, from myself, I wouldn't want it. I would actually turn it down. Not that I think I'm in line for anything, but if they actually offered me something, I don't think I'd want it. Oh, I would, mate. <laughs> what would you be, Sir Rod Little of? Lord Little. It's hard to say. Lord Little of Middlesbrough. Very nice. Yeah, it's, a, it's a tongue twister, isn't it, mate? It yeah. really is. So, yeah. so basically, we are where we are. Nothing's going to change. Um, Boris is not going to lose the next election. And we're just all going to carry on making a lot of people rich. Yes, I think I, 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 can't, I can't see much way around that. I mean, in the meantime, you know, we've got two years probably before the next election, um, just about. Mm. And, 
I, I think, I mean, you know, the little parties like us and the Greens, and the Greens are underrepresented. You know, there's no question about that. The Greens are underrepresented. Well, except they're running the Tory party. I mean, you don't need them, do you? <laughs> so a cynic might say. Uh, and, of course, the, the Greens are another party which have ceased to do what they were set up to do, which was to look up after the environment. Yeah. They're now more concerned about looking after pronouns. Yes. Uh, you know, so, so I, and in Scotland, they're more interested in independence than they are in actually doing it in And in Greek. Scotland, it's independence, yes. <coughs> but UKIP was similarly, you know, underrepresented. Yes. Um, we are heading towards a time where it's going to be someone like a Farage character who bursts through the middle yeah. somehow. There's not many like you know, him, though, are there? There aren't many like him, no. And no, even there, he, there I mean, even he struggled, didn't he? I mean, of course, he was an MEP he for did. a very long time, but he couldn't get an MP, he couldn't win a constituency he, MP seat. He won one constituency, didn't he? He won Clacton. Yes. Um, uh, with uh, Yeah, Carswell. I mean, him, he himself, though, couldn't. He himself couldn't win, no. No, first past the post is, is iniquitous. Mm. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to win. You know, George Galloway is another one who's tried to break the mould. I yes. know you don't agree with him, and I, I don't agree with George on many things. I rather I like George some. Galloway, actually. But I mean, yeah, no, uh, I, do. I, I, do. I like his approach, yeah. and I don't agree with much of, of what he says. But, uh, but bizarrely, we almost ended up doing a double act together. Um, until he made his little comment about the, the Tottenham Liverpool final, in which case it will work wrong. <laughs> but anyway, we got banned by the comedy store. But um, the point is that you know, you're so you're. It doesn't sound to me like you're buying this. Boris is at his lowest ebb of all time. That his popularity rating has plummeted. That the Labour Party are only one point behind. I mean, what are they saying in Middlesbrough? Uh, well, it's an important point actually because the red wall seats voted for the Conservatives, but they voted for the Conservatives with their hands with their hands over their noses, yeah. you know. Um, they, it, it's not a given that, that uh, the Tees Valley seats of, you know, um, uh, uh, South Middlesbrough and East Cleveland and, and Stockton North and Darlington uh, will remain conservative. The people do, to a degree, it's true, bake in a degree of corruption and sleaze with the conservatives, but found that more appealing as well as getting Brexit done, than voting for Corbyn, and who can blame them for that? Mm. I, I, I don't think this is actually cataclysmic for Boris at the moment. Um, I think it just adds to the suspicion, to the to the knowledge, not suspicion, that the Conservative Party is not the party of the working class. It's not the party of the working man. No. You know, I think all that plays in. It depends how well Labour does in the next couple of years. I can't see them winning an election. Well, I still don't really know what they stand for, to be honest. I don't think Keir Starmer knows what they stand for. Parts of them stand for one thing, other parts of them stand for something else. Yeah. But don't you think this green business is going to do for Boris, though, in the end? Once people start getting a bill uh, for all of this green nonsense, they're going to go, hang on a minute, we didn't vote for this. I think some of it will in, in working class areas. But I think you'd also be surprised at the degree to which an awful lot of people are on board with it. Mm. Um well, they are, I mean, in theory. I just wonder if they're on board with yeah. it in practice once the bill starts to arrive. Well, if they start making us install heat pumps uh, when heat pumps don't work and they're still, you know, it's like buying a colour television in 1962 yeah. and where, where where the entire screen looks green, uh, you have to wait, you know, 10 years. Yeah. Uh, and in maybe in 10 years' time, heat pumps will be useful and come down in price because that's usually what happens. Yeah by which time we should probably have some form of hydrogen power. So I think Boris is jumping the gun on heat pumps. And I think if he tried to impose that, 
you know, uh, of replacing boilers with these expensive devices, then he would cop it big time. Yes. And I think uh, there are probably different. there are other alternatives. I'm thinking, in fact, I think it might be Cleveland. It's somewhere in the northeast. They're already trialling a mixture of natural gas and hydrogen being pumped into yes, people's right. houses. So, you know, there are yes. surely there must be better ways of, of, of changing the energy if you want to do it um, without it costing you 15 grand. Yeah, well, no, indeed. And the best way of changing the energy in which they, they've, they've taken a very, very long time to come around to is, um, is kind of mini nuclear power stations, mm. not the huge ones which cost zillions of dollars that are run by the Chinese. Yeah. But, you, yeah, but, but there are certain much more micro power stations, which are uh, Rolls-Royce, for example, has been working on one. Uh, and they work very, very well indeed. Uh, they're very safe. And they, gener- they would generate lots of inner energy. Uh, because the other thing, you know, one of the reasons that I find it difficult to get on board with all the climate change stuff is that wind farms are, are an excrescence mm. on the countryside yeah. and an excrescence out at sea as well. And they don't work. Too much of what we're being urged to do by the climate change lobby simply doesn't work. No. You know, it's well, it seems, you know what it seems to me? It seems to me wind, the wind turbine is the sort of modern day equivalent of a penny farthing. Somebody came up with yeah. quite a good idea for a bike, but you don't yeah. want it to be that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's right, and um, and you know Boris Johnson's ludicrous claim that will be the Saudi Arabia of wind energy. Oh, you great! Know, <laughs> welcome to God execution. Know. Welcome to execution square. Yeah, yeah well, indeed. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. you know, I mean, it's bad enough they bought Newcastle United. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that should expend quite a bit of energy. It should, yeah, absolutely years. right. Let's see what they can do with that. Well, listen, so Rod, so you're you're telling, so it looks as though uh, you're expecting Boris to take the Tory party into the next election and win it. Yeah, I think so, uh, by about the same amount as, as he's got now. Yeah, uh, must be depressing. I, I, I think it, it'll be interesting. I, I mean, I do love the, uh, the 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 idea that on election night, you know. Uh, one of the Dimblebys or Hugh Edwards or whoever will be saying, and let's go over to uh, uh, Chipping Norton, where Labour are poised to gain another seat in the Cotswolds. <laughs> yes. And it'll be Putney and Chipping Norton and Central Cambridge, and not a single working class person anywhere in the country, apart maybe from Liverpool, will vote for the Labour yes. Party. I was amused to see that the Labour um, sitting MP in Putney is called Fleur. Now, I'm not in any way casting aspersions on the name Fleur, but it doesn't strike me as a particularly working-class name, F-L-E-U-R. No, 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 it's not. Norma would be better, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, what, what's, her, what's Doris. her surname? Um, I think it's, or Doris. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think it's Anderson, Fleur Anderson, I think. She's come from Fleur the climate Anderson. change business. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, but that's the party they've become. Um, and the, the irony, in a way, is that what Keir Starmer's done is he's uh, looked at the problems that Jeremy Corbyn had and jettisoned all the good stuff that Jeremy Corbyn was doing. Now, you may not agree with this, but up here in the Northeast, there was quite an appetite for some of the populist left-wing economics that John McDonnell was putting forward. There was quite an appetite. But but what they don't want is knee-bending, pronouns identitarian politics and all that toss, mm. uh, which is the stuff which really appeals to the middle-class Labour Party right. voter. Well, I mean, and the middle-class Labour Party voters aren't mad on uh, 
uh, redistributing wealth because they have the bloody wealth. Right. <laughs> well, also, they need it to support their ever burgeoning lumbers of children who don't seem to be able to make any money at all. Uh, as, I'm yes. rapid, as I'm rapidly discovering. <laughs> but, but, but the thing is as well, right, that, that Rishi Sunak has spent more money than John McDonald could have ever dreamt of. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. And in fact, you know, everyone went berserk uh, in the right-wing press on John McDonald's plans for taxation. But actually, uh, he was planning to uh, raise uh, uh, taxes to less than were there under Edward Heath. Mm. You know, I mean, it, it was hardly shade Guevara, was it? Um <laughs> No. And, and actually, some of the stuff, you know, a bit of uh, nationalisation of the utilities, uh, something I liked very much, nationalisation of the grouse moors and, and all that kind yes. of stuff, really, really played well with uh, with some of the voters up here. What they didn't like is the fact that Jeremy Corbyn and McDonald, for that matter, seemed to loathe our country, mm. you know, and uh, uh, loathe everything about it. And hate the flag, and that's exactly right. Fascinating stuff. Well, Rod, listen, thank you very much indeed. Rod Little, the journalist, associate editor of The Spectator, very sensible man, uh, and a supporter, of course, of the SDP, with, we, uh, with whom we talk on a regular basis. There does need to be something that changes, surely, otherwise we are stuck with this two-party system where nobody really gets what they want, and people like Boris Johnson can do whatever he wants, because he doesn't actually care. So it looks as though he isn't actually going to turn up this afternoon. Imagine that.